As you find your seats, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at that passage from Matthew chapter 26. Joanna and I just recently celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and we're getting ready to go on a fun trip on Tuesday. So we're excited. And um, it's interesting how the institution of marriage uh, is where a whole new journey begins. Like that moment, that moment of marriage, something totally new starts and begins. It's not like these two people just started, right? I mean, they were created a long time ago, arguably before the foundation of the world. Their story, they have stories of origin. They have likes and dislikes and frailties. They've gotten to know each other somewhat, probably not super well, not nearly as well as you thought you did as you're dating and courting. So there's this kind of journey that's happening. But at that moment, where two people stand up and make these vows and do this thing, uh, one of the prophets says that when two people are joined together in marriage, do I not join them together with a portion of my own spirit? Something new happens. Something new begins. At Incarnation and in churches all over our city and all over the world, the last 42 days have been something of a journey that we've been on. And tonight, on Maundy Thursday, as we go to the upper room and as we watch and listen to Jesus, the long journey of Lent culminates here during the Passover. You might not be familiar with the story of the first Passover or with Exodus, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. You might not know it for what it is, which actually that, that moment, the Exodus moment that was Um, immediately preceded by this Passover feast. It's the high watermark of God's saving work toward Israel in the Old Testament. It's the biggest deal in the Old Testament. And we'll talk about it tonight. But again, tonight as we watch and listen to Jesus, as we lean into Him and allow Him to gather us into Himself, a completely new journey begins. Maundy Thursday occurs over a Passover meal, as we heard read just a moment ago by Wilson. In chapter 26, verse 2, Jesus says, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then a couple of days later, 15 verses later in the narrative, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat? The Passover. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. And so Matthew is just laying it in there over and over and over again so that we're not um, confused or, 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 you know, kind of thinking that this specific context of the Passover is just kind of one of those details, like a coincidence. It's really important to Matthew's storytelling. So what was the Passover? What, what, what was this setting that's so important to Matthew and so important to the story of this last week of Jesus' life? The Passover in the Old Testament was a meal instituted by God to secure His people to Himself. 
right before he stretched out his mighty arm to deliver them from a bear trap of slavery, to loosen the grip of their bondage and the jaws of death. And so by the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, the Egyptians had, um, had Israel in this death grip for 400 years. And they'd been crying out to God for help. And God had been listening. But it, finally now, as we come to this first Passover, God intervenes. And remember how God patiently, slowly, gradually, just turned up the temperature on Pharaoh? I mean, by the time we get to the Passover, there have been nine plagues. To squeeze Pharaoh, to appeal to Pharaoh. It's scary, isn't it, how easy it is to resist God. But Pharaoh did. And all this buildup of power between Yahweh and Pharaoh, it's going to explode that night. And so right before that happens, God knows that he's going to take Israel on this journey, this journey out of slavery into freedom, out of darkness into light, out of death into new life. And before he goes on this journey, before he takes them on this journey, he does this Passover thing to mark his people as his own, to, to gather them to himself, to fold them into himself. And as Yahweh parts the Red Sea, he and his people go through together. As they journey through the wilderness under the cloud of Yahweh or the pillar of fire, they're in Yahweh as he's leading them through the desert and across the Jordan and Jericho, etc. On that night in Egypt, on the eve of this pivot point of God's saving work, he institutes this first Passover meal. And again, in doing so, he wraps Israel into himself in order to carry them from death to new life. That's important as we think about tonight, as we think about that upper room. That's what the Passover was about. The Passover was about being wrapped up into God and being one with him and, and being owned by him and, and being carried by him wherever he's going. It's really important. And we'll see that in a moment. So what was the Passover meal like? Um, I don't know if you've been to a Seder or not, but the Passover is really different. Uh, the ingredients are different and the, and the way that it happens is different. It's not just kind of, um, I don't know, like we have Thanksgiving meal. We have a little a tradition. We go around and say stuff that we're thankful for. We have little things that get folded in, but kind of like by after seven minutes or something, um, people are just talking about whatever. Same with Christmas dinner. The Passover meal, it, it, it was really tightly structured around questions and answers that were scripted. And so the youngest person at the table uh, would ask these questions and the answers would come from the older adults around the table. And the, the questions and answers were leading the whole group through a retelling of this history of God and this history of being enslaved. And this is why we have bitter herbs and this is why we're reclining and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it wasn't a, a passive kind of conversation. It was really structured. And, and it was punctuated 
throughout uh, by numerous prayers and numerous um, blessings that, again, retell the whole story of the Exodus. The main ingredients of the meal are an unblemished lamb that's been butchered with no bones broken. Four cups of wine that get shared by everyone throughout the course of the meal. Um, Unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and again, these specific prayers and blessings that introduce and explain and describe, often by Q&A, what these things mean. There's also this interesting, uh, beautiful image. There's an empty, there's a spot that's, that no one takes. It's always there. It's just an empty spot with the plate and a cup of wine in front of it that no one touches. It's this place that's reserved for when Elijah or when the Messiah returns, when, when, when the Messiah comes in person. So there's this built into it, this messianic hope that just as God delivered us once out of Egypt, somehow, in some way, as these prophets are trying to talk about and understand and, and, and describe, God's going to come himself and make everything right. He's going to do the exodus again in a different way. So that's, that's, that, that's the fifth cup that's got wine in it, but nobody drinks it. The other four cups get shared. So in the upper room that night, as we come to this Passover meal, Jesus is not instituting some new ritual out of thin air. And it's easy maybe as Western Christians to think about that if you haven't been familiar with the Passover and and how strictly liturgical it was, how scripted it was. Jesus wasn't just kind of flying off the cuff and like, oh, I've got an idea. I could say something right now. And I mean... There were 1,500 years of people hearing the exact same thing done at every point in this meal. The kids knew what to say. The adults knew what to say. Everybody knew who was going to say what, and it was very precise. So before we move on to hearing what Jesus says and considering it, let's consider quickly what does participation in this Passover meal mean? When we heard the Exodus passage read, we heard that this feast was supposed to be done in perpetuity every year as a remembrance, as a memorial. We hear Jesus in the upper room say, do this in remembrance of me. So this this idea of remembrance and um, participation is important to both stories. In the Jewish mind... In remembrance doesn't mean how we most often use the word. It's not, oh yeah, that happened, or oh yeah, that's true, I remember that. Oh yeah, that, that, that's a good story. Or I remember, where, where are my car keys? Oh, I remember, I left them upstairs on my dresser. It's not assenting to something as historically factual or true. People aren't sitting around this table at the Passover rehearsing the story And just kind of saying like, oh yeah, that's true. I believe that. It wasn't um, a recitation of something true. Partaking in the Passover meal means to actually be participating in the original events of the Exodus. Use your imagination. It's like by participating in this meal, 
you are there. By participating in this meal, your feet, under your feet, you can feel the smooth stones of the Red Sea under your feet as you cross on dry land. You are there. There's a, uh, a rabbinic writer named Gamaliel, and he is quoted as saying, and this is from way back, I think this was the man who trained Paul. Um, is that right? Yeah. In the commentary that I read, it said that he was, but you know. But th- but this 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 man writes. In every generation, every Jewish person who partakes of the Passover is duty bound to regard his or herself as though he or she personally has passed out of Egypt. In every generation. Every Jewish person who partakes of this meal is duty-bound to regard his or herself as though he or she personally has passed out of Egypt. So it goes back to that, that idea, that, that, that thing that God is doing where he's wrapping Israel up into himself and carrying them out of slavery. The bridegroom bringing his bride to a place of safety. God bringing David out of the miry pit and putting his feet on a rock. It's like this personal thing, like I've got you in my hand and now we're going over here. Or I've absorbed you into myself and now we're going to go do this. The Passover was that first move. And this is what, um, not just for that original generation, but for every generation after it, without being diluted over time or a word of mouth. It's like... um, in Genesis where we learn about the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. And that really kind of describes the, the, the vertebrae of the whole narrative of the, of the scriptures, this conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of, um, of the serpent. Or when in Hebrews, this is a more obscure example, but it, it, it illuminates this idea of participation. Um, that it, it says that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. This is like an ancient story that happened. This is the interaction that happens between Abraham and this guy named Melchizedek, who Abraham recognized as more important than him. And, and Abraham honored him by paying tithes to him. And, and the writer of Hebrews, it talks about Levi, which is like generations later, paid tithes to Melchizedek, just like, Matter of fact. Well, how is that true? Well, because he was in the loins of Abraham when Abraham did it. He was the seed of, um, of Abraham. So, participation in the Passover meal. It's a one-to-one. Everyone who comes is being gathered up as their original forefathers were. And just as God, so now as we transition our attention to Jesus and that upper room with those disciples during that Passover meal, this Passover meal that we celebrate tonight and every week, what is Jesus doing? Why the Passover? Just as God wrapped up his people Israel on the night of the first Passover, to carry us on this journey, to carry them on that journey. Just as that happened, 
Jesus, by using this Passover this way, is gathering you and gathering his disciples and gathering everything into himself to bring us on this journey, a completely new journey. Not, um, not from scratch, like God's been doing things in history for all these years and, and Jesus though is gonna bring things to completion. But he's not instituting some new thing out of thin air. Jesus, on the other hand, he's commandeering the most sacred meal of the Jewish calendar, the Passover meal. He's making it blatantly and precisely about himself. He unambiguously inserts himself as the substance of the Passover meal and the fulfillment of the Passover itself. Again, imagine being there, growing up in a Jewish home, making this pilgrimage year in and year out. And now you're in your 30s or something. And you're, okay, we're doing the Passover again. And you know it by heart. And you've known it by heart for years. And Jesus just starts saying this stuff, doing this stuff. Think about what we've just talked about with regard to the history of the Passover and the, and the liturgy of it. John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Passover meal and lamb that's butchered without any bones broken is the main course. Paul calls Jesus Christ our Passover. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus and quotes a, a prophet of Jesus saying, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not, you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. When the participants of and when their participants and 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 strict Passover liturgy expected when they when the, the, they when they expected this fifteen hundred year old prayer over the unleavened bread, instead of hearing that familiar prayer, Jesus says, "This is my body." And then taking a cup at the end of the meal, which wasn't strictly prescribed at this point for anything, but there's this fifth cup of wine after supper, taking the cup. So the other four cups have been consumed throughout the course of the meal, but there's this other cup, this cup that's for the Messiah, for Elijah. And he takes this cup, probably that cup, that sat before an empty plate in anticipation that one day Messiah would arrive in person. Jesus takes the cup and says, drink this all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As Israel was commanded to participate in Passover every year in remembrance in person with those who crossed the Red Sea, Jesus repeats, do this in remembrance of me. So as with so many things pertaining to the Old Testament law and tradition, 
Jesus inserts himself as this capstone. And as Jesus does this, just as God was gathering Israel to himself before going on this journey, Jesus is gathering us as we continue this journey of Lent, particularly at this Lord's Supper every week. We recite prayers during the prayer of thanksgiving or, or in the prayer of humble access. So many of the prayers around the Lord's Supper talk about um, him dwelling in us and we in him, or that we are living members of the body of Christ. It's this union thing. It's a gathering and integrating thing into Jesus himself so that wherever he goes, we go. If he goes into the grave, we die with him. If he raises from the dead, the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is toward you who believe and we're raised with him and we're seated with him. He, he uses this meal to bring us into himself. And this night in particular is a night of lasts. The old is falling away. This is a remarkable night of a seed going into the ground and dying that it might reemerge as a great tree. Jesus wraps us up on a night of lasts to carry us on a journey. A night of lasts in that upper room before as every every before our very eyes, Jesus stands into all the history and meaning of Passover and joining us to himself. This is the very last night in history of waiting. This is the last night of waiting with Israel and the whole of creation, leaning forward in every generation, echoed by every prophet who looked through a glass dimly and told of the dawn of a completely new day. It's the last day of leaning forward and yearning that way. This is the last night before straining faith becomes clear sight. It's the very last night of the old covenant. This is the last night that the law was recorded and observed as something out there, but never written on a heart. This is the last night that we hear Jesus praying conversantly with his father offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, asking if that very cup of the Messiah's blood might pass, if there be any other means by which to take away sins. This is the last night that 12,500 lambs needed to be slaughtered in Jerusalem for tomorrow. For tomorrow, Jesus would offer himself once for all and sprinkle his people with his own most precious blood. All this culminates as God gathered up Israel to take them on a journey, as God gathered up Israel to take them through the Red Sea and into their future with him. Jesus is going to gather us up and take us on a journey as well. And this is the very last night that the veil in the temple is intact. Tomorrow, it gets torn from top to bottom. And Jesus, having gathered us up, brings us all the way home. Every time we come to this Passover meal, we are duty bound to regard ourselves as though we have personally been wrapped up in Jesus 
and carried through the entirety of his completely new journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.